Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. And then Isaiah chapter five says this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. This is what the end times are going to look like. Maybe more than anything else, that God's people are gonna start looking at situations and contexts and circumstances and say, wait a second, that, that used to be wrong. Why is that being celebrated? That, there is no way that would have been a headline years ago and now it is on the front page. This doesn't seem to make sense. What is happening here? Our world is not short on difficulties that we are working through. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are challenged by wars, famines, earthquakes, disease, as well as many personal challenges like family issues, career issues, and health issues. And as a result, people begin to wonder, maybe now more than ever, is this the end? In this sermon series, we will be attempting to answer this question by looking at the four horsemen in Revelation 6. Through this study, we will not only better understand the end times, but also better understand these difficult times we are in. Now enjoy today's message. Today, we are uh, beginning a sermon series entitled The Four Horses, and we're going to be diving into Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to be honing in on the four, se- four of the seven seals that you find there. We're going to be looking at the horses and the, pers- the four horsemen that are riding those horses. We're going to try to draw out as much from that as we can as we understand the first century meaning, as we understand the meaning and interpretation and application of it to us today. It's going to be, it's going to be some good stuff, and I'm excited to dig into it. In Mexico, just this past week, there was a really significant earthquake that took place there, almost 7.0 on the Richter scale. Uh, And so with that, buildings were swaying. I mean, people were concerned. There were all sorts of different things happening, including this. There was this blue light phenomenon. And it was such a phenomenon that scientists are still debating why it took place exactly. But it led people in Mexico to wonder, is this the end? And, and there are even posts on social media in which people are putting a hashtag apocalypse, hashtag Armageddon. They thought, they thought everything was coming to an end, that these were the signs of the times and Jesus was returning and it was all, all going to come again to that end. And I've found that in our day, today, I'm getting asked that question more often than ever, that is this the end? Are these the signs of the end of times? And people are looking at natural disasters that are taking place in the world. People are looking at leadership in the world. Uh, People are are looking at the COVID pandemic. They're asking questions about the vaccine. They're asking questions about all types of legislation that's going on. And people are just wondering, hey, what's happening here? How do we understand this? How can we understand this in light of God's truth? And my hope is over the course of the next several weeks that we will be able to answer many of those questions, that we'll be able to actually offer you you some material in which that you can take that material, cross-reference it with the thoughts and the questions that you have to be able to walk away with a little bit more hope and a little bit more peace. But as we do this, as we dig into the book of Revelation, there's three principles I'm going to give to you right now that we have to keep in mind if we want to look at this text properly. And the first one is this, and a lot of this is just mindset, is to read Revelation with humility. 
We got, we got to read this book with humility. You should always be skeptical of anybody who says they have all of the answers to Revelation. Because we don't. I liken the book of Revelation to a car manual. It's a, a car manual is almost always in the car and we hardly ever read it, but then when we do read it, we don't understand it, so then we go to a YouTube and we try to watch a video to figure out how to resolve the problem we got. And so, we, in our Bibles, Revelation is almost always there, but, and we never read it, but then when we do read it, we don't understand it, and so we go to YouTube and we try to watch a video to try to make sense of it all. And let's see how it all goes together. But as we watch videos, as we read the scriptures, as we listen to sermons, there's a tendency to kind of think that we got it all figured out. But if we had it figured out, there wouldn't be 10 to 20 different interpretations of how we ought to understand different texts. So we need to have humility. I promise you, I will say things that you don't agree with in the next few weeks. And that's okay. I, what I want you to do is to take that, to get motivated by it, to go take those scriptures, cross-reference them with commentaries or different readings you have or even YouTube videos, and to develop your own conclusion. And I feel pretty confident that you'll land in a good spot. But in order for us to get through the time that we're gonna have over these next few weeks and these next few minutes, we have to have humility about this text. Also, we need to try to discover the primary message to the original audience. In other words, when John wrote this letter in the first century through the visions that he was given by Jesus, he had a purpose for the people he was writing it to. If our interpretation is something that a first century audience couldn't understand, we might be misinterpreting it. And so we have to keep in mind, all right, what was John communicating to these people in this particular time, in this particular day? That's not easy to figure out. But when we have this perspective, though, it keeps us from really getting way out into outfield there and off, off track from what the truth really is. The third principle is this, and here's a scripture, or here's a quote here from Gordon Fee. As with the epistles, the primary meaning of Revelation is what John intended it to mean, which in turn must also have been something his readers could have understood it to mean. So whatever that first intended meaning is, is something that we have to tap into if we are going to understand why this letter was originally written and guided under the whole, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit by God. Third principle is this, is that we have to take Revelation seriously. There's a few points that the book of Revelation teaches us. One of the most primary is this. Some of us are gonna make it and some of us aren't. The ones that believe in Jesus, you get heaven and eternity and peace and comfort. The ones who don't, it doesn't work out that well. It works out really well for some, and it doesn't work out so well for others. It needs to be taken very seriously, but it can't always be taken literally. There are certain numbers and there's descriptions that we cannot take literally. But then we have to dig into the scriptures and we have to dig into other resources to figure out what the symbolism is there. Case in point, in Revelation 1, there is this crazy description of Jesus in which he has a sword coming out of his mouth. He has stars in his hand that it looks like he's getting ready to throw at someone. He's got fire in his eyes. I mean, Professor X from the X-Men would be all over this guy. But this isn't literally how Jesus is going to come back. These descriptors have 
symbolic meaning. And as you understand the first century better and why it is that this letter was written, then you can make better sense out of these descriptors. Thanks for joining us on Hope for the Day. This is Pastor Philip Holland, and I come to you today with some bittersweet news. After four wonderful years of sharing the hope of Jesus through our sermons on Hope for the Day, it's time for us to say goodbye. But before we part ways, I want to extend my deepest gratitude to each and every one of you who has tuned in week after week, allowing our messages to resonate in your hearts and your lives. Your support has been so valued by our team, and I'm so grateful for the ways that God has used this ministry. Now, as we close this chapter, I want to remind you that our mission does not end here. You can still access our sermons, delve deeper into our community, and find biblical resources and support on our website at valleyviewcc.com. And better yet, join us in person at one of our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., or 11 a.m. Now, the reason that we're making this change is entirely strategic. We're excited about what we have coming up, and that has led us as a church to make an adjustment in our approach to this media ministry of ours. And so as we do something new going forward, I want you to keep your eyes open for the Valley View Christian Church podcast, where we'll continue to share sermons, interviews, and uplifting messages in new and exciting ways. So friends, as we bid farewell to this season of Hope for the Day, I just want to thank you again for being a part of our community, and may you always remember the hope that we have in Jesus. But what is not in doubt as it relates to the book of Revelation is what we're also going to tap into quite a bit today is this, is the book of Revelation describes the past, present, and future conflict between good and evil, between God and Satan. And we see this play out in a lot of different ways in our world. We see that play out in the economics, whether it's socialistic or capitalistic. There's always this tension of good and evil. You see it play out with legislation. You see it play out with governing officials. You see it play out with citizens of particular nations. And there's always this tension of what's going to win out? Who's going to win here? It's always, always present there. And it's always present right here with you and me. Are you going to let anger take a hold of you? Are you going to let jealousy take a hold of you? Are you going to let greed take a hold of you? In other words, are you going to let evil consume your life? Because that's often how it comes in. It's very subtle. We try to deal with it, but we aren't always able to, and it gets a foothold in our life. I'll, let me tell you, let me illustrate it this way. My wife and I's first home was this home next to the church that I worked at. This home was called a parsonage, which in other words is a home that is old, neglected, hasn't been taken care of, and it has gobs of problems. That was our house we started out in. It was 125 years old when we lived in it. It's even older now. It's, almost, it's getting close to 150. So the house, we lived in this house, and it had wonderful features to it. It had oak floors. I didn't even know that was possible. It has oak floors in it. Had eight and a half foot tall doors that were oak. Had a 10 foot high ceiling throughout it. It had amazing features to it. And then it had some things that were just unbelievable. That the, the foundation was not concrete like most of our homes. It was stone chiseled out of a quarry. 
And when you have stone like that, it shifts and it settles and it changes through the decades and over century that this home has existed, causing the house to have cracks and openings and holes and gaps all throughout it. Like you could look in a few spots where there were windows and next to the window there's literally a crack that you could look straight out the house straight out of the house into the outside i mean it was a breezy winter i'll tell you that it was a cold winter in that home it was tough and it had a basement and by basement i use that word very very loosely because it's really a hole in the ground that the house was built on it was it was the scariest place i've ever been in in my entire life it was terrifying. I mean, I, I, I totally feel what Macaulay Culkin was feeling when he walked into the basement in Home Alone and he's scared. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. He's terrified when he goes into the basement. I was scared because I never knew what I was going to encounter down there because there was all sorts of little critters that would often get in. I, the first night we stayed there in the home together after our honeymoon, my wife uh, you know, she sleeps, she gets up in the morning, takes a shower, walks, at, steps out of the shower and splat! On a cockroach, true story, on a cockroach, right there, just right there, scurrying across, splat, worst day of the thing's life, dead. We've seen, we saw mice scurry across the floor. If I spilt a little sugar on the counter, there'd be a thousand ants the next day there. It, It was just not good. And so we had to be very, very diligent about keeping out these little critters. But if we let up for a few weeks or even a few months, those little critters would almost seem like they were starting to take over the house and then we would have to get aggressive again to deal with them. And that's what, that's what evil does in your life. We all have these little cracks. We have these holes, these crevices that evil can get in. And again, it's often through anger and jealousy and greed. And when that evil gets in, If we aren't diligent about dealing with it, if we go a few weeks or a few months, maybe we don't attend church, maybe we don't pray, maybe we don't read our Bible, maybe we just aren't even thinking about Jesus, that evil starts to get a hold of us and it starts dividing us. It'll start causing us to do things that we later regret. It starts causing us to confuse what is right and what is wrong. It really can do some damage and some havoc in our lives. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 12, do not be overcome by that evil, though, but overcome evil with good. And so we have to figure out what exactly is evil and what exactly is good and why is this relevant to Revelation 6. Well, in Revelation 6, we've got a few things going on here. First off, we see the number seven begin to become very relevant in the book of Revelation. You've got the seven seals, you've got the seven trumpets, and you've got the seven bowls. But the seven seals is what we're focused on primarily. And as we consider these seven seals, we have to understand a little bit of what those seals are. A seal is something that often goes on a letter in our day and time. In ancient times it would go on a scroll and it would hold together that particular scroll and inside of the scroll was content that would then be released out and so with each one of those seals that is broken you have a new message of content that is then shared with us and we're going to be looking at the first seal there the first scroll that is opened up now, as you think about it, there's, a, there's what I would call a four-seal principle that we have to be aware of that's relevant in this Revelation and really relevant all throughout the Bible, and it's probably relevant to your life right now. The four-seal principle is this. The first four seals deal with Satan's activity. The last three seals deal with God's activity. If we aren't careful, 
we get so caught up in those first four seals that we think Satan's going to win. We think evil is going to overcome good rather than good overcoming evil. We, we think that right now Satan's got such a foothold that we don't have a chance. But what you don't realize is you're really just living in the fourth seal, within those first four seals. And you got to recognize that at some point God is going to show up and Satan isn't going to have a chance. God's going to show up and Satan is going to lose. God's going to show up and intersect with your life. And all of this pain and this hurt through these first four seals is going to get resolved and rectified and is going to help you to grow and develop into more of who God wants you to be. Hi, this is Pastor Philip Holland of Valley View Christian Church speaking. And today I come to you with a mix of gratitude and also for reflection. After four remarkable years of sharing sermons and faith-based conversations on hope for the day, it's time for us as a church to close this chapter. And the reason that we are doing this is entirely strategic. We want more people to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we are doing that, we're going to shift towards more of a podcast format. But before we part ways, I want to take a moment to express my deepest thanks to each and every one of you who has been a part of our journey. Your faithfulness in listening, engaging, and spreading hope has been nothing short of inspiring, and I'm immensely grateful for your support. Now, as we prepare to bid farewell to this radio show, I want to remind you that our message of hope and faith will continue to shine brightly. You can still connect with us and explore more of our church community at our website, valleyviewcc.com. There you'll find sermons, resources, and opportunities to deepen your spiritual journey. And also, once again, you can follow our Valley View Christian Church podcast, where you'll continue to find sermons, interviews, and other uplifting messages in a brand new format. Now, as we embark on this new chapter, let us carry the hope of Jesus with us wherever we go. Thank you for being a part of this community, and may the grace of God continue to guide and bless you abundantly. Now, I think all of us are probably living in some form, in some fashion, in that fourth, in those four seals, as Satan is trying to get that foothold in our life. But we gotta realize how great God is and we need to be reminded of it. And let me, let me illustrate it for you this way, how great God really is in relation to how Satan is. One of my favorite basketball players from years ago and even still to this day is Michael Jordan, especially Michael Jordan in his prime. Now I never did this, but imagine I played Michael Jordan in a game of one-on-one basketball in his prime. It'd be a lot of this. Let me tell you that. It'd be a whole lot of this. You know, let's just say we played the game of make it, take it. And he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play make it, take it. You get the ball. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to eat a Big Mac. I'm going to eat my lunch. I'm going to eat a Big Mac, some French fries. I'm going to drink a Coke. You, you just keep me up to date on the score. So I'm like, all right. So I score a layup, shoot a jump shot, hit a three-pointer. I'm doing all these things. Eventually the score gets, we're playing 24, gets 22-0, 23-0, right in that range. And he puts down his drink and he says, all right, I'm going to get in the game. Check the ball up. Immediately, what's going to happen? He's going to stop me. I'm not scoring on him. Hey, I'm not getting another point. So he stops me and then you know what's going to happen after this? A whole lot of that. He's going to score 24 straight on me, and I'm going to end up losing. Now, for a minute, it seemed like I was going to win. For a minute, it seemed like I had this game under control. But then as soon as he got in the game, as soon as he intersected with the game, as soon as he got on the court, it was over. That's what happens with God. 
And you see it again and again and again in the book of Revelation, and you see it again and again and again throughout the Bible. And that's a word that we need to hear as we consider these four horses that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next few weeks. Because these horses can be very intimidating, which are the strategies that Satan implements in our lives. These horsemen can seem very terrifying, even more scary than that basement I used to crawl down into. I mean, these strategies and these horsemen can terrify us, but God's always greater. And so the four horses break down like this. The first seal is the white horse. The second seal is the red horse. The third seal is the black horse. The fourth seal is the pale horse. And as we focus in on the white horse, this is what the scripture says about it. I watched as the lamb, being Jesus, opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rolled out as a conqueror built on conquest. Now, this white horse here isn't the only instance in which a white horse is referenced in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19, you have Jesus coming on a white horse to bring freedom and to make everything right and to conquer all the evil. So, commentators and scholars have speculated who exactly is on this horse. And it really boils down to two people. It's either Jesus or it's the Antichrist. Now, if it were Jesus, that would be very similar to Revelation 19. But again, if you look at the context, Jesus is the one opening the scroll. Jesus is the one who is bringing healing. The Antichrist is the one who is bringing pain and torment. And that seems to be the most common held interpretation of who's going to be on that white horse. Now, is he literally going to be on a white horse? No, we talked about that. You, you shouldn't read the book of Revelation and take everything literally. So what is the white horse? Well, the white horse is going to be Satan's strategy. And that strategy is going to be this, to deceive God's people about good and evil. I have a pastor friend of mine who shared with me some material about this particular passage of Scripture, and he said, it is that tension. It is that tension between just wondering, is that Jesus on the white horse or isn't it? that Satan uses as his strategy to make us question what is right, what is wrong, who should we follow, who shouldn't we follow, who is good, who is bad, what is good, what is bad. And when we start confusing right from wrong, truth from falsehood, good from bad, then as Christians we end up really, really off track. One of Satan's greatest strategies is going to be to confuse us about what actually is the path that we should be on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And then Isaiah chapter 5 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. This is what the end times are going to look like. Maybe more than anything else. That God's people are going to start looking at situations and contexts and circumstances and say, wait a second, that, that used to be wrong. Why is that being celebrated? That, there is no way that would have been a headline years ago and now it is on the front page. This doesn't seem to make sense. 
What is happening here? It's all strategy. It's all strategy. And he wants you to question what is true and what isn't. And we got to understand that this Antichrist, he is somebody, as the Bible teaches, who will be indwelt eventually, not initially. He'll rise to power. Maybe even she will rise to power. And then God, God's spirit will not be a part of that. Satan's spirit will come to indwell him. And terrible things are going to happen to God's people. It will be awful. Now, some will wonder, and maybe even some of you speculate, and you ask the question, well, we've been hearing about signs for years. People have been prophesying and speculating that this prophecy would be fulfilled for decades. Why hasn't it? Well, here, here's what my belief is about that. It, is that those signs are always going to be present with us. And often, we wouldn't say it quite like this, but this is what we do. We read the book of Revelation with a mindset that Satan has. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday? And if you're here in the Denver metropolitan area, we'd love to have you attend one of our Sunday services at Valley View Christian Church. We have Sunday service times at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And we'd love to have you come and attend one of those services and be with us. And I, Pastor Philip Holland, would love to meet you in person. And also remember that the Hope for the Day broadcast is available on your favorite podcast provider. So we look forward to having you again with us on Hope for the Day.